For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney+. You are listening to Habs and Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Habs and Minded, the top 25 under 25. And it's Patrick Bexel here with uh, Matt Craig, who's becoming a regular, obviously, for and, and usually hosts the bottom six minutes. Thank you for joining me, Matt. Of course. And we have the special guest and, and uh, a favorite of mine to have on the pod because his knowledge is amazing when it comes to prospects. Hadi Kalakesh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I mean, like we're going to jump straight into it. It's the top 25, under 25. We're on uh, the uh, 40th spot. Uh, there were some discrepancy and it's, it's a total unknown for many, even for me in Sweden. Uh, I didn't see him too much because, as uh, Hadi will tell you, he was hidden a hidden gem maybe uh, behind the big three in Jurgen last year. But at fourthy, we find Autumn Engstrom, and and you have a lot to say of him because you're also doing a video review of him that will be out in a couple of days. Yeah, um, I'll give you guys a quick preview though. I mean, this is this is a tremendous transition player. Uh, he's got a flute stride. His edge work's really good. Um, he he doesn't overcommit or undercommit on passes. He's comfortable delaying and finding those um, those second or third options and not rushing into them. Um, he doesn't pass through the first avenue he sees. He opens up lanes. I mean, there's a lot of layers to his transition game. Um, and that, that also translates to his rush defending. I think his rush defending is a really good asset of his. Um, he's got good posture. He keeps, you know, he matches footwork with opponents. Um, in the third round, uh, I have no problems at all against this pick. Uh, he, he's got a bit of Matthias Norlander in him where he's just this fluid player with great hands and, uh, great passing, but he's also got a bit more, uh, defense to his game. I think there's some things to improve in his, uh, posture. Um, his upper body's a bit stiff. But honestly, I mean, it's nitpicking. I really think that in the third round, the Habs really got a gem here. And like you said, I mean, Nekarimaki, Öslund, and, and Ugrian were, were really the main three that I focused on when I was watching your garden this year. But um, re-watching those three games that I downloaded and really focusing on Engstrom, you can really see the outline of a, a pretty good second or third pair defenseman who's going to log in some good minutes and, and maybe even play on the power play. Um, I mean, like... Even for me and and talking to Adam as well, he downplayed his own role. He, it was an interview released uh, on Tuesday night from Rugler with with uh, Adam, and and he said that 
mainly he's going to work on his defensive role and defense assignments uh, this upcoming year because the transition from juniors to the SHL will be enormous. And obviously, <laughs> Rugley is one of the top four teams in Sweden at the moment, and they're the reigning uh, Champions Hockey League uh, champions as well. So he's coming to a really tough team, and he's not holding back. And, and interesting enough, and and you said this as well, Hadi, that he played in the first uh, preseason game for Ragland. He played. It seems like he will play to when you listen to this on on at that day on Thursday and eighteenth uh, of August as well um, mm-hmm. at home. And uh, really, I'm starting to consider if I should go down and and watch it live. But but really, yeah, it's 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 a it's a pick that none of us were really sure what kind of pick it was, mm-hmm. but it seems to have been the the faith that Rugler puts him means that I would probably raise him quite a bit higher in my own rankings because I had him at at uh, thirty seven. Yeah, I I raised him a bit higher than that. I don't remember specifically where I put him, but I think it was in my top thirty, um, somewhere in the late twenties. Uh, but really, I mean, twenty nine. It's, it's, 29, yeah. So this is the small things with him. I mean, he receives pucks in motion. He moves his feet through pass receptions. Um, he shoulder checks a ton. I mean, he checks his shoulders maybe three, four, five times before even touching the puck. And then he keeps checking around him for other options. Um, there's a lot of small projectable elements to his game that I think if you build around that, you're good. And also, Roglo, the, the work they did with uh, Moritz Sider is really promising to me because... Sider headed into that program and wasn't necessarily the most um, confident player in his offensive abilities, even though he had them and had them in spades. Um, and I don't know if the focus should necessarily be on his defensive game the whole year, because there are there are some small elements of his offensive game that need work. His shot needs a lot of work. Um, but, I mean, you're talking about a player with a lot of small projectable elements, and I think Rogler is pretty much the best program to bring out the best of him as long as they try to explore different avenues with him and don't sort of peg him into a third pair defensive role where he's playing on the penalty kill because he's just not that kind of guy he's got too much brains and too much vision to stick on the third pair have him play um you know defensive zone face-offs and all that stuff he needs some offensive zone time and that's where he really flourished especially when he was playing on the power play uh with your garden in the j20 that was really when i saw the best of him so I really hope that they give him some offensive responsibilities as well and don't sort of peg him into a defensive role to try to improve that side. I think it was more the fact that he tried to and wanted to improve himself uh, mm-hmm. than in general what Rugler wanted to do. Um, For sure. At 39, we're going to leave this to, to Matt. We have Nate Schnarr. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was it was tough for me to rank Nate Schnarr, honestly. I had him at 40. Um I, I just I think he's going to have a tough time battling for ice time in Laval this season and beyond. I think L- L- Laval's a pretty strong roster at this point. Um, I, I don't necessarily see him being even a key player with them now. Of course, uh, as we said in the last podcast, as I said multiple times for multiple different people, if he has a big year in Laval, you know he could easily jump up. Uh, he could put himself in the conversation for a higher spot on the list. But there's there's just there's there's not enough ice time to go around Laval with how strong that roster is going to be. And I don't think that he's going to be a key contributor. I think he's going to get kind of pushed down a little bit and maybe pushed all the way out. Uh, so I had him at 40, but you know, we'll, we'll see what the season brings. How do you want to contribute to that? 
Uh, to be honest, Schnarr doesn't really strike a chord with me as a player I really like. I like I like players with a lot of intelligence, with a lot of um, soft dice manipulation, all that good stuff. I, I don't necessarily see as much of that from Nate Schnarr, but could he be a fourth-line player down the road? Sure. Um, I just, I really value upside and upside usually comes with hockey sense, with, um, manipulation, deceptiveness, uh, the small things that, you know, separate the, the great from the excellent. Um, I wouldn't be surprised though to see Schnarr at least play a game or two this year in the NHL. Um, then at number 38, we got Miguel Tuingni. <laughs> I hope I didn't. I did. I hope I didn't mess that up too much. But but you guys yeah, know. Doing me. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Like Matt said it. That's what we're going. With. <laughs> yeah. uh, seventh round pick from this year. Strong mm-hmm. entrance if you compare that then to to uh, Autumn Engstrom who was taken four rounds earlier. Mm-hmm. I'm a big uh, I'm a big Turini fan. Honestly, I watched quite a bit of him, especially after he got traded over to the Akadzi Bathurst Titan. Um, he had 80 points last season. 80 points in 65 games. And he was a point-per-game player the season before that, too. I really like going after older players who have been passed over once or twice in the draft already with those late picks, with the sixth, seventh-round picks, because you have a better idea of, of what they are, right? You kind of – they're not 100% developed, but you have a pretty good idea of what they can do and what they can't do, and you know what you could potentially mold them into at the next level. And Miguel Tourigny is, is undersized, but he's a great puck-moving defenseman. Uh, moves the puck really well, skates really well, uh, has a decent shot, and makes a really good first pass. There's a lot to like about his game. And honestly, I thought, based on his performance, that he probably should have gone in the previous draft in 2021, but he didn't. Size had a lot to do with that. And now the Montreal Canadiens get to be the team that finds out, you know, is, is there more to his game? Uh, he's from a hockey family. I mean, his little brother, Jordan Turini, just had a pretty eye-opening rookie season in the QMJHL. And he's a guy who uh, is potentially going to be a first-round pick because he's a little bit bigger than his older brother. But I, I love this pick from the Habs, and I, I like his chances to eventually crack an NHL roster. It's going to be a tough battle for him uh, because overcoming his size, he's five foot eight and he's about 170, you know, soaking wet. So overcoming that as a defenseman is harder than it is for forwards, but I like his chances a lot. He showed a lot of offensive acumen. I mean, he had, uh, how many goals did he have? He had 30, 31 goals last season in the KMJHL mm-hmm. between two teams. This is a defenseman who can put up points. And again, I like his chances. I like his chances to do something in Laval. And then I like his chances to maybe even get on the Montreal Canadiens one day. So that's why I had him at 29. Um, so I don't necessarily want to say he's going to be an NHL player. I just, I really like his chances. I think he got overlooked. And uh, I think he's going to have a chip on his shoulder coming into the pros. I'm I'm starting to think this is a little bit of a uh, you know this when when we look at the rankings is this a uh, a some you know Quebec bias here? <laughs> <laughs> if there's any bias, it's that I've just I've watched him more than than other players, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I'll admit I've definitely seen more of him than I have of Adam Engstrom. Um, I've only really seen from Engstrom, you know, highlight packs that I can find on the, on the internet, right? It's not, I don't have full games that I can sit down and watch of him. Whereas with Miguel Torigny, I have actually watched full games. I watched his entire playoff performance with uh, Bathurst. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of what he does. And I, I legitimately think that he could be a threat at the next level. I see a little bit of Samuel Girard uh, in his game. And um, that's another guy that was undersized from the queue that fell in the draft. But, you know, he didn't get passed over multiple times like Torigny did. 
it's just, you know, I think, I think there's a fit for him in the NHL. It's just, can he put everything together and can he overcome that size issue? Yeah. I mean, there's a, I'd say there's a, there's a reason why he was passed over twice and again, got picked in the seventh round. I mean, there are some limitations to his game. He tends to play like a forward a lot um, mm. and defensively he's sort of limited, but I mean, when you watch him with the puck, when you watch his ability to identify when to activate, when to um, go below the dots to make plays, uh, I mean, this is a player with a lot of intelligence on the offensive side. I'm just not certain of what he can be. But in the seventh round, I don't think there was a better swing to take than than him. So I'm, I have no problems with this pick at all. I think it's great also to give some some local talent who've been in you know, proving themselves for a couple of years in the queue with some, some chances to, um, to get an NHL contract down the road. Uh, but there is a reason why, you know, I would prefer someone like Isaiah George over, you know, mm. Miguel Tourigny. And Isaiah George had maybe, what, 20 points in 60 games. To me, yeah. it's less about um, the amount of points, but how you get them. Uh, to me, George could have gotten... 40 50 more points uh, if his teammates were on the same page as him whereas Tourigny was playing on two pretty solid teams with a lot of offensive firepower and he was mainly the 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 bus driver on that Bathurst team once he got traded so um there are some caveats there's also a bit of issues with the skating stride he's a fluid skater but I won't say he's he's necessarily explosive maybe that comes with weight but you know, there's a reason is you know in that range rather than in the top twenty, given the amount of points that he had. Yeah, and we're joined from uh, Croatia, uh, Anton Rossigod, and and joining us just before Blake Biondi, which is great for us. But but uh, great to have you on, Anton. Yeah, uh, I'm happy to be on. Can you guys hear me properly? Blake, yep. Blake Biondi is Anton's favorite player. He told me the other day he thinks that guy's going to win a scoring title and uh, get several rockets in his career. So. Yeah, well, after Arvid Henriksson, who is definitely going to win the the. Uh, oh, he's getting MVP multiple hearts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. What do you want? Heart trophy for sure. <laughs> well, well, well. I mean, I, I, I will have to, you know, stand tall for Blake Biondi mm-hmm. since I was the one having him the highest mm-hmm. in the uh, among the staff. So. So, so you can start by describing why. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, but it's just like I, I, I think you know, without you know having seen much of him other than highlight packages, um, it just seems like he he made a few strides forward compared to his first season in the NCAA. So, it seems now that there is more reason to be hopeful that he can actually carve out a professional career. If we compare him to Jake Smith, uh, Jack Smith, sorry, um, they will always kind of be compared to each other, both high school Minnesota players uh, selected with, was it back-to-back picks? I think it was. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. Um, And we've seen virtually no progress from Jack Smith uh, that should, you know, that should mean, well, that should actually, you know, show us that he can become an NHL or even AHL player in the future. It's also very almost laughable now at this point when we look at the Habs fourth round there in 2020 when they selected Jack Smith first then Blake Biondi right after and then Sean Farrell at the end of the fourth round <laughs> yep. so you can Could say that well, yeah you, you can say like that's great scouting to find Sean Farrell in the fourth round but if you knew what Sean Farrell would do you know after you wouldn't have 
chosen Jack Smith and Blake Biondi ahead of them. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just I had Blake Biondi at 28th because I feel like there is something you know, worth exploring there. Um, I think he's the only one among the projects that I did have in that range among uh, between 20 and uh, 20 and 29 so uh, he was the highest ranked of these players that we're talking about today mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm gonna leave the next one to you Matt Cedric Guindon was that better or worse than Guindon you don't really have to pronounce the U but you just like kind of go straight to the eyes Guindon Um, the gang um, tabernacle, all right? <laughs> don't cut that out. Leave it in. We can swear in French, can't we? Yeah, well, I swear in English on the BSM, so I don't think it even matters. But <laughs> there was someone telling me now that I was in Montreal that tabernacle is apparently really bad. You're not supposed to say that. And I'm just like, you know, out here using it. You know, That person has been in Quebec for like two days maximum. <laughs> if they think it's really bad and you shouldn't say it. He's no, used... It is used almost as often as like um in a sentence. Oh like, yeah, no, especially if, you're if you leave looking Montreal. for a word, especially in <laughs> Montreal. But Cedric yeah, Gagnon, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, despite I mean, he might pronounce it a little bit more anglophone style because he's actually from Rockland, Ontario. He's not uh, Quebecois. Um, he may be Franco exactly like myself. So I do have a soft spot for him. However, uh, I had him a little bit low at forty uh, five, and you know, after looking back at uh, all of the or 44 I had him after looking back at all of the highlights I just didn't see enough for me to put him higher now again this is a guy where when I'm when I'm looking at his results and I'm looking at the highlights that I've seen I didn't see very many Owen Sound attack games last season like in full Uh, I wish I had seen more because then maybe I could have ranked him higher but he's the guy that I could have bumped up 10 spots right pretty decent scoring rate for what was basically his rookie year in uh, the OHL Uh, obviously he was supposed to be a rookie of the year before and the thing got canceled due to the pandemic. So can't really fault him there. Slightly undersized winger, um, but can also play center. I think he's got versatility. He's a guy that I'm, I'm going to be keeping my eye on because I think next year I might have a, a higher spot for him in the lineup. If he can show improvement on what he did last year. Yeah. Uh, can I just ask Matt, uh, in regards to Gandon? Um, you put him at 44, but, um, you know, then you had Jack Gorniak at 32 and, and Alexander Gordon at uh, 33. So I just want to hear, you know, why you seem to think that Gorniak and Gordon has, uh, you know, so much higher potential than Gandon. Anybody 30 and down for me. So anybody between my 30 and 50, I see them as long shots. Oh, okay. right. I don't necessarily see them as being able to make the NHL, or I certainly don't see them as guaranteed things to make the NHL. No, of course. So, Even even above 30, I wouldn't say they're guaranteed, but basically between 30 and 50, you guys are interchangeable. I could drop them 10 spots. I could lift them up 10 spots without blinking an eye in some cases. It's just, you know, sometimes it's a gut feeling, if I'm being completely honest. And uh, I, I like Jack Gorniak, so that's why I had him a little bit higher. Um, Alexander Gordian got a soft spot for Skillsy Russians. Um, when it comes to Cédric Gagnon, I just, I, I, I guess I didn't see enough. Maybe I would lift him a little bit more. Like I said, I could have bumped him up 10 spots without blinking an eye. Uh, but he's one I'm going to be watching next year to see if I can elevate him a little bit on my uh, on my next ranking. I, uh, I I don't have my list in front of me. Could you guys remind me where I, where I had him ranked? You had him, you had him at 30. Exactly. You were um, the low one, so you actually had the highest ranking on him. 
Cool, cool. Uh, there's a good reason for that. Um, the first time I really noticed Gaindon in a, in a game watching the attack was probably in like February or March. I was scouting Servak Petrovsky and I was like, who is this mm. kid feeding them all these smart little slick passes? What is... And then I looked him up and I was like, oh, that's Cedric Gaindon. He's a draft eligible. So I started watching him a bit more and a bit more. And I was like, this is this is a sneaky, smart player. I mean, he doesn't just have, you know, character and compete and all the stuff that the Habs are sort of aiming for this year, but he's also just a sneakily intelligent player with, you know, the ability to manipulate opponents, you know, sort of, he has this gravitational pull. He drags players in and then he can play through them, which is something I really like from, from forwards. Um, Again, I'm a big smarts guy. It's, It's sort of my draft philosophy. Um, if you're smart, you know, that's one of the things you can't really teach. So I see that in spades with Gaindon. He does have to improve his pace. He does have to improve some of his offensive skill, especially his goal scoring touch. But I mean, this is a really intelligent player and I value that. So that's why I had him that high. Indeed. And, uh, we're going to move on to correct me if I'm wrong. A goalkeeper, you verbetic. No, red, red, pit red pitlick. Yeah. I did. I bit with, because of my ranking, I just wanted to give him like, Pretend he doesn't exist. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, m- maybe you confused him with Rempitlik. Yeah, I probably did. Well, if we confuse him with Rempitlik, he would have been higher on the list for sure. <laughs> apparently, apparently, there were there were people confusing him with Rempitlik. That that's just what we assume because they yeah. apparently they, some they were people ranked him in top six, sex, top, yeah. top yeah. There's too so. many Pitliks on the Habs. Yeah. That's just yeah, an issue. We, we got a lot of them, right? <laughs> got to catch them all, the whole right? Family. Yeah. Nah, yeah. Again. Um, there has been, I mean, like I always make one or two or three of these stupid mistakes where I, I, when you sit too long and I, I, I realize that I need to take some breaks every now and then in order <laughs> to go, go back and forth between, between it. And I still manage to, to, to miss a few, but yeah, I don't know how I managed to put him on 21 and, and, um, I, can I pretend it's a typo? But anyways, uh, <laughs> I mean, he he did um, he did uh, play in the NCAA this year, and uh, I mean, for 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 regular season for a uh, debutante or, or making his debut at that level, I think you know, like a half a point a game is, is quite reasonable. Should he be in the top twenty-five? No. Mm-hmm. I, I, I watched him. A- I'd say the same thing. I mean, I had him at thirty-five. Um, Hattie, in case you're wondering where you had him, you had him at 35. So great minds think alike, yeah. right? <laughs> um, I just, I, I'm concerned. Uh, my, my same concern would be just the, the production at the NCAA, but I didn't have him, you know, in the 40s or anything like that because I, I do still have uh, some faith in Rhett Pivlik. Um, especially when it comes to NCAA forwards, they, they tend to be more projects, right? You've got at least... I'd say for most of them that aren't named Cole Caulfield, you've got at least three years where they're going to play there before they come over to the pros. So him having played his first season, I'm not too concerned yet. If I see progress next year, then, you know, I might even rank him a little bit higher. Um, But for for now, the 35 is really the highest I could go. Yeah, no, I was a huge fan of Red Pithlick when he was drafted. Um, but seeing him in the NCAA this year, he's one of the players I really sort of focused on because I wanted to see if I, if my analysis, like my draft, uh, my draft year analysis of him was correct. And 
he reminds me of of Rem Pitlick, but a like a, a Walmart version of him. Like he he does a lot of the same things. He's this undersized player with a lot of pace to yeah. his game. He's got slick hands. Um, he can push the pace and all that. I just I don't see that high end manipulation. I don't see that uh, that delay game. He likes to sort of accelerate the pace of play a lot, but I don't see him slow it down and open up lanes and all that good stuff. So, I mean. He needs some work, and the NCAA is pretty much the best place to work on those things because I feel like the pace of play at the NCAA is pretty slow. He can take his time. He can circle back. He can, uh, you know, work on those elements, and, you know, practice makes perfect. He gets his reps in and, and you know, incorporates himself into his game slowly but surely. But until I see those elements of his game that indicate a higher-end hockey sense, like at least a baseline to make it to the NHL, uh, yeah, he remains in the in the 30s range. Um, but I'd expect him to have a better year this season. And if he does, well, he'll, he'll get bumped up for sure. Imagine being a Walmart version of your own brother. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's, that's pretty sad, but honestly, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, it's you know. The, the future is still ahead of him. Who knows where it'll be 100%. in five years. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, from, from, uh, to verbetic and, uh, mm-hmm. um, big goalie, um reasonable only only draft big goalies yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> you know, gargantuan goalie uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that i think that the perk is you know as long as you fill out the net you will at least save you know about 30% of the shots just by being there you can't have <laughs> a so, red yeah. licking goal so so, so you <laughs> mean they're going to draft a sumo wrestler next year yeah I, i've been <laughs> expecting it the first japanese player in the initial will for sure be a sumo wrestler <laughs> like about how much 600 pounds Perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the pads <laughs> on that, you know, that's going to be like yeah. great. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, pretty, I mean, like pretty good start for him. Uh, I mean, uh, after in his draft plus one year, right? It's, it's yeah. Uh, he, he made progress for sure. I mean, I, I saw quite a few North Bay games actually. I think he obviously fills out the net really well. Like it's one of the first things that you notice um, whenever the puck is in their zone, it's like, as soon as the camera has the net in the frame whatsoever, you go, wow, that guy's huge. Uh, <laughs> he fills out the net really well and he moves pretty well for his size. My concern with him is rebound control. He gives up some juicy rebounds, kicks him right out into the slot. Sometimes you saw it uh, a little bit in the playoffs against uh, what was it? Kingston. Um, But in, in general, during the season, I noticed him kicking out some juicy rebounds. Uh, that would be my number one concern about him. I have him maybe a little bit high, uh, to be honest. I have him at 30 on my list. But that's because I, I think the way he moves and his, his size, you obviously can't teach that. And the way he moves for his size is also even tougher to teach. You don't see it that often. So I like him, but I can't put him any higher than 30 because that rebound control is going to be a problem if he can't fix it. Yep. The also also the main concern with large goalies who play butterfly a lot is they're they're dropping a lot of weight and they're dropping they're dropping hard on the ice every time they go to their knees. Mm. So you you ask yourself, you know, how how sustainable that is. I mean, Ben Bishop's knees are screwed. And that's because he's six seven and he drops hard and he's huge and heavy. So longevity is an issue. There's also just as Matt mentioned, the rebound control is kind of horrible. And when you have Ty, Ty Nelson in front of you, who can't track pucks or make good decisions to save his life. Um, <laughs> that's a bit of a concern. Um, I I was more impressed, I'd say, with Dom DiVicentis than with him. Um, 
who was his backup. The the style of play, the athleticism. I feel like Verbetic's habits in net also are kind of weird. I mean, he instead of um, crouching down using his his high shoulders to his advantage when he's tracking pucks that are up high in the offensive zone, he'll arch his neck around players, and then when the puck goes low, he's going to drop his whole weight down. So there's small things like that that he can work on. But, I mean, the thing with the Habs is they love to draft these big goalies and just chisel at them until they get something out of it. It I don't know if it's worked out well so far because the sample size is too small and too early, but if Frederick Decal ends up being decent, I'll start believing in that. On, on the other hand, and you mentioned Decal, and, and uh, it's also the fact that you mentioned dropping down. It also mm-hmm. takes a toll to get up. And I know Dishov had to work a lot in order to change that from trying to go directly back on your skates. So if you look at Dishao, he will make a slight lateral movement to create speed that way and thereby mm-hmm. not lifting his own weight, like mm-hmm. more getting a, a, a fluid action to raise up rather than just yep. go backwards and up. And, and I think, you know, that takes a toll on your knees as well, the other way. Yep. So, mm-hmm. so with these big goalies, you have that kind of, um, as you mentioned, a, a little bit of, of hesitant to, to rank them higher because you don't know how long they will be around. You don't know if they mm-hmm. can handle this pressure over, over a long time or period as well and, and over 82 games or at least 60 games maybe if you become a first NHL first goalie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also interesting uh, what you said about like the comparison. Well, just by being drafted by the Habs with Verbetic and and Dishaw, because mm-hmm. if we remember where Dishaw was a year ago, um, he was you know nowhere near. You know, he, he was he was seen as a long shot to to make the pro leagues in North America altogether, and then one strong season with Kurchansta later, and all of a sudden maybe we look at him a little differently. So, mm-hmm. who knows what Joe Verbetic. Uh, you know, can end up doing in a year. Like, it looks like he will have some sort of chance to play with the Laval Rocket during the season, um, or at least be, I don't know how it really works with the OHL and and the AHL kind of cooperation there. But, I mean, he's assigned to the Laval Rocket on on Elite Prospects, so I guess he will get some kind of opportunity to play in the AHL throughout the season or even in the ECHL and see what he can do there. We've seen with Michael McNiven that it can be a good way moving forward. So it will be interesting to see, at least, with all these goalie prospects. We have Emmett Koto, obviously, and and Jakub Dobesh, and then we have um, Caden Primo a little higher up the lineup. So, Yep. Gianni Fairbrother. It's a shame yeah. Jared isn't here because uh, he's obviously t- the highest rank, 20. Apparently but... loves Johnny Fairbrother. <laughs> um, and who doesn't? Johnny Fairbrother paid him to get that rank. I'm sure of it. <laughs> right? I'm going to use that for my next weird rank, just so you guys know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hadi was one of the lowest on him. Mm-hmm. You had him at 40th. Yeah, I just... <sighs> I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of the Ben Chirot mold of defenseman. Why? Um, <laughs> you can get a first round pick. I'm, yeah. I'm a fan of what you get for the Ben Chirot mold of defenseman when you trade him at the deadline. That's about it, though. Like, like that's that's the extent of where my, my interest for that kind of player uh, rests. I don't see the on-puck uh, abilities. I don't see necessarily high-end manipulation. He uses the boards a lot. He dumps a puck a lot. 
Um, he's got a heavy shot. He can hit hard. He can defend pretty well. But I don't see much more than a shutdown defenseman who's going to be pretty poor analytically, but he's going to earn a higher spot in the lineup just because he's big and strong and can defend. I, I just, yeah. I mean, you compare him and Lane Hudson and they're like, they're like complete polar opposites of each other. And I think you guys know where I stand on that spectrum, giving, <laughs> given my rankings. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a hundred percent that, right. I, I had him at 38 and it's cause I, I, I'm not sure how much success he could have at the next level. I think he could make the NHL. Absolutely. Um, and I think for the same reason, Hattie said is that he, he gets physical uh, and he skates decently uh, that Ben Sherratt mold. It's for some reason, quite popular with NHL coaches. And maybe he can overcome some of his deficiencies and become analytically, you know, decent. I don't, I just don't see it. However, he could make the NHL and he could end up being an interesting trade piece for the Montreal Canadiens. So Adam at 38 couldn't go any higher than that. Did we make the comparison between Fairbrother and Kale Fleury? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Just kind of, you watch him out there. It's like, okay, you're big. You have a good shot. Um, you skate pretty decently, but can you make place? Can you mm. advance the puck? Can you improve the condition of the puck? That was the main issue with Kale Fleury. That's why he hasn't stuck to the NHL yet is because his ability to improve the condition of the puck is close to zero. So that's the main issue right now. It's, it's quite interesting to think back like, you know, a year or two in time when three of the Habs' most prominent defensive prospects were Kale Clary, Victor Mete, and Noah Juleson. Um, yeah. And, like, none of them have stuck on an NHL roster yet. We've seen... Kale Clary was the uh, Kraken's pick, right? In, in the yeah. uh, expense, expansion draft, yeah. and Which even, is so weird. Yeah, well, I mean, they wanted to reunite <laughs> the brothers, I guess. They wanted yeah. their own Pitlick connection, but it just didn't <laughs> work out very well. But I'm, I'm just guessing that, you know we did give up all those three players for nothing and it hasn't really cost the Habs anything. Even, even for a team that was the worst in the league, I don't think any of those players would actually have improved the roster, which is sad. Yeah, not at all. Moving on to William Trudeau. And I think I pronounced that reasonably well anyway. Mm -hmm. Justin's little brother. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of brothers connections. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had him at four. I had him at forty forty first. Um, yeah. I think yeah. that is, you know, a main reason for that is because he's a CHL player. So there is little, um, you know, th- there's little time to mold something out of these players. We've seen with Cam Hillis, for example, who was now a long shot. Um, that you know, during those two seasons that Hillis was developed, he looked like you know a prominent OHL player. And mm-hmm. he was chosen over um, Samuel Oud, uh, Alan McShane, and uh, Cole Fonstad, right? So they only had one contract to give out to, to one of those four players. They chose Cam Hillis, and it just hasn't panned out. And mm-hmm. with these prospects that are kind of like, they, they could use a bit more time. Now, obviously, the Habs have an ECHL affiliate, which will be great moving forward, but you will have to make a decision on, on players like Trudeau. Trudeau has one year left, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have one year left on Trudeau. You have one year left on Logan Mayu, who we'll get to later. And um, 
and it just it, maybe it's a little bit too too little to actually know what you're gonna get because has Trudeau shown you that he has NHL potential yet? I don't know. Yes. He, he, he no, yes. but like he, yep. he will for sure be an AHL player. Can can he be more than that? Maybe. Yes. But like yeah, you guys are saying yes. Obviously, you've ranked him much higher than I have. But I'm just wondering, like, if he will end up in the Gianni Fairbrother, like, not stylistically, but just ending up, you know, being an AHL staple, yeah. sta- you know, just a stable defenseman for the AHL, but can actually crack the roster and become a bottom pair defenseman in the NHL? I don't know. It's also like, you bring up one very interesting thing here. First, you know, for, for me, I can barely watch these games. So you go a little bit by the numbers. Second... I mean, you get four years from Europe. You get four years, more or less, from the NCAA. Um, it, it's, it seems weird that you get two years from, from, from the OHL or the mm-hmm. Q or, 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 or the other leagues. And, and I mean, it, it, that means you have to make that decision faster, which is mm-hmm. in some ways is good because other, they might get a chance in another, in another organization. But on the other hand, it, it's a little bit unfair because everyone else gets four years to, to make an impact. Yeah. And that's mainly why there's a mass exodus right now of, you know, especially the queue there's, I think three or four of the top 16, top 20 picks in the QMJHL draft have already committed to NCAA teams. So players are aware of the advantages of going to programs where you have more time to develop, where you also have autonomy heading out of it. I mean, there's a lot of advantages to it, but the thing with Trudeau is, I mean, I'd, I'd say Charlottetown is tied with Sherbrooke and the NTDP for the teams that have scouted the most this year. Um, and I, man, behind Lucas Cormier, Trudeau was their best defenseman. And Easy. easily. I mean, I mean, he the, the, the ability to make plays with regularity that advance the puck, that keep possession. Um, his defensive awareness is pretty solid as well. But he's mainly sort of that that type of player who's going to find smart passes and advance the puck. And I think the Habs this year really valued um, the things that would improve their power play. So they got Slavkovsky to win back pucks after shots on the power play, um, shield the puck, play in front of the net. They got Lane Hudson to quarterback it. They got um, players like Rohrer and Gaindon to play intelligently along the boards. In that year, I don't think the Habs really had an objective. They were just going for the guys they liked. Um, but Trudeau could very well end up being a player who I could very well see on the power play. I mean, he's got a very, very intelligent game. I love his smarts. Uh, he's a pretty decent skater. He's got a lot of attributes, and one of them is sure to hit as something that's NHL ready. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to be anything more than like a fourth defenseman, number four. That's the highest I'd put him. But he's definitely worth a contract to me. I mean, this is a player for, with a lot of assets. For, for me, you know, being European, not watching the league, you go by numbers, you look at it. Has he really progressed from last year where he has four in 40 games? He had 31 points. He was uh, plus 34 in those games. Mm-hmm. And then you look at it this year and he's in 68 points. He has 44 in 68 games. He has 44 points plus minus 30. So for me, that's a wash. Has he, the question for me becomes, has he progressed? And for, by looking at this and not having enough video and, and, and all that, you, you go like, seriously, no, probably not. Mm-hmm. 
but he has. Yeah, he definitely yeah. has. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and that's what I need you to tell me. Yeah, well, no, he definitely the, has progressed. And the main thing is, once Lucas Cormier is out of that lineup, William Trudeau is their main guy. And once he's their main guy, you're going to see a main difference. That's how I feel. Yeah, and I I, I would bet on him to have uh, a real good season, especially, I mean, obviously age is going to factor in. He's going to be older. He's going to be one of the older players on the team and in the league. I, I'm expecting a big season out of him uh, next year. And Hattie mentioned like his intelligence, like he, when he gets the puck, it's heads up immediately and he's scanning and he's looking and he's able to read <clears throat> and figure out <clears throat> not only what plays can he make, but what's the best play. He scored a goal against Shawinigan in the playoffs that I, I'll never forget it. He was coming down from the point up to about the hash mark. And he's just kind of looking at what they're showing him on defense. And he realizes that two of the checkers on Shawinigan have their backs turned to him. So he just goes, you know what? I can cut to the net. And then all of a sudden, quick crossover, he's up to speed, he cuts to the net, puts it in. I mean, the the way that he reads the play is, is fantastic. He's a very intelligent player. I think his shot from the point is also very underrated. He gets mm-hmm. some pretty damn good velocity on that puck. And as an added bonus, he's not afraid whatsoever to get physical out there. So I would agree with Hattie's assessment 100%. I could see him as a fourth defenseman. Um, I could see him sneaking into your top four at some point, and I could definitely see him being an asset on the power play with the way that he's able to move with the puck. He could quarterback a power play. He could potentially quarterback your second unit, and depending on how well he develops, he could even quarterback your first unit. Um, he, he could be a very useful player at the next level. Well, I've been listening and hopefully learned a little bit. Uh, we're going to go to the last one on, on this podcast, and that's Luke Tuck at 31. Uh Obviously, for me, um, having him at 38, along with great mind Ahadi, um, <laughs> I, I just, again, you look at it, is it progress? Has he stagnated? It's Boston you University. You step back. Yeah, yep. I mean, is it is it's a uh, Boston University, good program, you know? And, and for me, no, he hasn't gone anywhere. And that reflects in my ranking. Mm. It'd be one thing if it was just a regression in terms of points, but I mean, there's just, it's almost apathy out there with, with Luke Tuck. You watch him play and it's like, do you really want to be there? And and it was the same when I was watching um, the scrimmages and training camps for the, uh, for the U.S. World Juniors team. It's just, does he, like, sometimes I watch him and I see the outline of a power forward with a nose for the net, with an ability to gain speed over long distances and, and create things off the rush. But then there's other times where I I really, sometimes I feel like he doesn't really want to play hockey. I mean, there's, there's a lack of engagement. There's a lack of intensity, a lack of drive uh, at some times that I get from him. I mean, for a big guy, I don't see him necessarily um, pushing the pace a lot for checking hard, uh, trying to get his his shoulders into players' chests and all the stuff that would indicate to me that this is a player with character and intensity. Um, there's a serious question there for me. And if you're a if you're a big guy with decent pace and and you've been drafted as a physical guy and you don't use that physicality, that's a big minus because you're 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 lacking in other aspects and you're not exploring the thing that you're that you have that would help you at the NHL level. So to me, he's just kind of in that, that twilight zone of, you know, what are you doing? And until I see more from him, hopefully I do this year with BU. I'm going to be scouting them a lot because of Lane Hudson. Um, And I'm going to be keeping a close eye on Tuck to see if that changes or improves. But 
at this point, it just I see a very significant lack of engagement in this game. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I, I could have put it better. Regression in terms of points is one thing. It's, you know, I, I saw four or five games of his last year, and I saw the same thing. It was like, you got talent, but it's almost like you're not – I don't want to say not putting in the effort, but I want to say it's almost like he's kind of going through the motions, right? It's almost like he's expecting his talent and his nose for the net to just carry him to get the mm -hmm. points. If he was playing a little bit harder, he might've jumped up on my list, but I, I can't put him any higher until I see some difference. And, you know, I'm, I, I, I have hopes for him, right? Otherwise I would have put him uh, at, at 50 or something, but I put him at 31. Um, I think I put him at 31 anyways. Yeah, I did go. Uh, so I, I still have hopes for him, but um, definitely very interested to see what he does next season. Um, and it should be interesting, as Hattie mentioned, to watch BU in general because they're going to have Lane Hudson too. And Lane Hudson is somebody we're expecting a lot out of. And uh, I think we all have him higher than Luke Tuck on our lists. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to him eventually. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't even mentioned like all the other cool names that we're going to have on the list. It's going to be great. Uh, I'm, I'm not worried about it at all. Uh, You've been listening to Top 25, Under 25 with Hadi Kalakesh. That's, uh, you can find him at Hadi uh, Big K uh, Scouting at Twitter and uh, on YouTube for his great video analysis. You'll find Matt Drake at bottom six minutes at Eyes on the Prize as well. Uh, and I think it's Matt Drake just now, isn't it? Or is it Drake MT? Drake on? MT. Drake MT. I'll be posting highlights tonight for the quarterfinal game for Canada versus uh, Switzerland. That should be a bloodbath. Yeah. Good stuff. And, and we have from Croatia now. I mean, like, yeah. I, I've forgotten how many countries you've been in when we recorded, <laughs> Anton. Uh, so I'm looking forward for, to, for you to cross over to uh, Slovenia for, for next pod. But no, I'm go I'm actually going to Serbia this weekend. So I might, all right. uh, yeah, I might. We'll record one there. from Serbia. That's a, that's a given. Like, um, just before we quit, it's just amazing to see one season. Luke Tuck was 14th last year, right? And now he's 31st. So that's a yeah. big drop mm -hmm. in the rankings. On the other yeah. hand, and the, the opposite can the happen every year too. Yeah. Mm. The opposite can happen every year too. I have a few guys on my list that I'm looking at and I'm like, man, I could have ranked them way higher and I'm, yeah. I'm hoping that I get to next year. And then, the, but the opposite can happen, right? There's some guys that I probably ranked high that maybe you're going to come way down. Yeah, like William the beauty of the list. Yeah, it's it's also the fact get that out of you here. know for, fourteen draft picks will make make you value different things again. So there it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. You've been yeah. listening again to top twenty five, under twenty five, the prospects or the projects. So uh, thank you guys for listening. Make sure to leave us comments. Make sure to to give us ideas for guests. And uh, you should see Matt's hamster too on his uh, over his heart next time. <laughs>
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.